Hello listeners and welcome to what is now the fourth season of Pebble in the Pond podcast. We appreciate your support throughout the first three seasons uh, as we get our listenership up towards that 16,000 mark. Uh, thank you everybody, we appreciate it and um, yeah, and what a privilege it is to bring you uh, these stories from amazing people. We are here and we are aiming to create a ripple for change for mental health. My name is Sam Stewart and I am the CEO of the Australian and New Zealand Mental Health Association. Each year our association hosts several leading mental health conferences that allow us the chance to meet and connect with the most fascinating and and accomplished people in the mental health space. Listen in as we go one-on-one with the people changing the face of mental health in Australia and New Zealand. From lived experience speakers through to researchers, academics, leading community organisations and influential industry leaders. Our Pebble in the Pond podcast episodes may contain content, themes or topics of discussion that may be triggering for some listeners. If you feel you need any assistance with your mental health at any time, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14 or visit the Get Help page for additional resources at anzmh.asn.au. Systems of violence are complex and solutions require more than just physical techniques. One holistic approach to personal safety is empowerment self-defense, an evidence-based primary violence prevention system that teaches individuals how to recognize and interrupt violence by listening to the intuition, assessing their options, asserting boundaries, using de-escalation strategies, and provides tools for a range of psychological, verbal, and physical responses. Survivors who have been previously trained in ESD recover faster, are more likely to report perpetrators and reach out for support. So far, ESD instructors have taught over 7,000 people, including victims of trafficking, girls at risk, rural women, social workers, refugees, students, mothers and daughters, and more from around the world. This week's podcast guest, Antoinella Spatola, is the regional manager for the Asia-Pacific region with ESD Global, a non-for-profit organization based in the US, dedicated to making the evidence-based system of empowerment self-defense, or ESD, training accessible around the globe. She trains individuals and organizations in the violence prevention space to promote the principles of ESD within their communities, delivering training to the global community as a first-hand preventative method against violence. Antoinelle has a BA, in psychology, is a mediator in conflict resolution, a behavioral therapist for NDIS, facilitates workshops in schools, and is a coach for women with a history of trauma. Stay tuned as Antoinette informs me on the principles of ESD, its importance in the violence prevention education space, and how it can be used as a powerful tool for change. Hello, podcast listeners, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of Pebble in the Pond. With me today is Miss Antonella Spatola. Thanks very much for joining us, Antonella. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Tell us, before we get into the stuff that you're doing at the moment, uh, and we're keen to hear all about ESD and, and the stuff that, that you've been up to lately, tell us, how did you get into the sector, into doing what you're doing? What inspired you? Well, Sam, it actually started when I was six years old. I watched a kung fu movie. And I did not know what I was watching. And it stayed with me until 
1985, my parents immigrated to Australia and they showed me pictures of kangaroos and koalas and the beaches and all I was excited about was Chinatown. So I always had this fascination with self-defence. We came in 85, I had no English, nothing. I guess I learnt, you know, like as you do, you just get thrown in the deep end and you learn. And when I turned 18, because I came from a very strict Sicilian background, when I turned 18, I started learning Kung Fu and I started my university degree in psych. And I learned that at an early age, that the way my Kung Fu brothers downloaded and learned Kung Fu and self-defense was very different from the way I was learning and applying it. And I didn't think much of it because I didn't have anyone to bounce off, meaning most of the time I was the only girl in the class and I just thought that's just the way it is. And then as the years went by, like 10, 15, 20 years later, I started using Instagram and you know, started connecting with other organisations around the world and I started seeing these feminist-based organisations and clubs and schools where they were teaching what they call empowerment self-defence. And it was at that stage I realised that what I was doing was actually ESD or empowerment through self-defence. And that is an amalgamation of the physical self-defence plus the empowerment self-defence, meaning that having introspection and an insight to why you think, feel and behave and react the way you do. Because you may know and you may see amongst your friends that what offends you may not offend somebody else or what triggers someone may not trigger somebody else. So it was always about learning about yourself, finding out who you are and what activates you, what gets you excited, what makes you angry and really building a holistic approach to who are you and and why is being empowered important to you. Why is it a holistic approach? Like what about it makes Yeah, good question. Well, when we say empowerment through self-defence, most people automatically think about the physical, like self-defence equals physical self-defence, meaning someone's got to attack you physically and you physically have to respond. Empowerment through self-defence is a holistic approach, meaning that it's recognising all types of abuse, verbal, emotional, financial, you you name it, and then being able to recognise when that's happening to you and then taking the steps to go, hey, this is happening to me right now. What can I do right now to respond before it escalates? Hence, ESD being an early violence prevention. So that's what I really advocate for, that we are teaching these skills really, really early on. Yeah, well, it sounds like, I mean, it's a great idea because you're saying it's not just the physical sense, but you're also looking at the non-physical opportunities where you can go and create some awareness and education so that people can learn the tools to be able to better cope and recognize when they're in a situation that could become quite harmful or escalate to be even in worse situation is that correct exactly that's correct because we think about violence as being the worst case scenario rape and murder so it's all very social and culturally in context but most of us luckily deal with you know issues with colleagues with 
you know, our intimate partner maybe, our neighbour, even our children, our friends that keep asking us for money. So it's recognising when someone's breaching our boundaries mm. and saying, hey, you know what, when you keep asking me for money or for favours, I'm flattered, but I need you to stop. Yeah. Is this an evidence-based approach? Is, it is. Okay, so yeah. it's, so tell us a little bit about the background of it. and Yeah, so it's a feminist approach, meaning that there's been studies all the way back coming out of the US from the 70s, and it's an approach where we look at men on women violence, not men on men, because when you're learning martial arts, it's man on man kind of violence. But we're talking about what kind of violence, abuse do women deal with in in the everyday. So evidence-based is where we can actually see the data of these programs that have been been used around the world and then finding out where were the participants before they started and now how are they, how are they feeling, what's going through their minds. And we actually have data to show that the ESD programs prove to be healing and empowering. So it's, how long has it been around for? Yeah, around from the 70s. So ESD, this training and this, yeah. this structure has been around since then? Since the 70s and it just keeps developing based on you know, the psychology and what we are dealing with. For example, back in the 70s, we didn't have such a thing as online abuse. Mm. So we are always progressing and you know, we're dealing now. We're in COVID, so a different type of abuse is happening. It's more insidious, you know, lockdowns. So we're constantly looking at what's going on in our society and responding. How many countries is ESD being implemented? Well, at the moment, over 42 countries. We have regions in Africa, Latin, Caribbean, US, Canada, Europe, and Mm. I'm the manager for Asia Pacific. Um, And what I love is that you know, how I teach somebody in Pakistan is different from how somebody would teach in an African country. So it's very contextual. That was going to be my next question is, is does it vary, the delivery vary from culture to culture, country to country? Yeah. It is, it is. And ESD Global, we are train-the-trainer organisations. So what we emphasise is that the people on the ground working with their communities they are the experts i do not know how to work with an indigenous community for example in in burke i do know what to do what to say how to work with white women in brisbane for example so as a train a trainer organization we actually train the experts on the ground because they know what the issues and how to uh, demonstrate and how to teach these theories Reading the statistics, so far ESD instructors have taught over 7,000 people, including victims of trafficking, girls at risk, rural women, social workers, refugees, students, mothers and daughters, and more. I mean, that's, that's a big number of people. And are you seeing some success with that, obviously? Yes, yes. In Europe, UN women are actually advocating for our programs. In Albania, currently... They have a bus going around the country to start challenging gender norms. So it's a global effort and we are seeing that the more women in the communities, the leaders in the communities, talk about the issues that no one wants to talk about, the more courage women have to actually express and share. And that gives more courage to others who may not speak up. 
they may not even realise they're in a, in a violent, abusive situation. So they don't feel so alone when they are part of that ESD community. Tell us a little bit about the techniques that it, it uh, adopts and the process that it go, takes people through. Yeah. So again, I just want to emphasise that it's the methodology is easy to learn, easy to apply and easy to remember. And it's, it's about taking responsibility for yourself, meaning that no one is there to protect you. So we are advocating that every girl, every woman, every individual has what they need inside of them already. We are just supporting them to connect the dots. So the methodology is based on five principles. First one is think. Your biggest weapon is your mind. Start to understand if you're one of those people that freezes when you are put under stress, if you disassociate from the situation, if you find it really hard to say no and instead you say yes, if you're a people pleaser, Mm. if you have had trauma before, if you find yourself repeating the same relationships. So understanding that your brain is your biggest weapon. So what do we do? We start asking ourselves questions when we are under stress, when we are finding ourselves in a self-defense situation. What's going on here? How am I feeling? Do I know him? Where am I? Are there people around? What do I want to do? So by being conscious and using the front part of our brain, the frontal lobe, we start becoming strategic. And I always say, don't wait for a crisis to happen to come up with a strategy because we just like in fight and flight and freeze mode. Mm. So we want to start learning these strategies when we're in a safe, supportive environment. The second principle is yell, and that is use your voice. Your voice is so strong. It, is, it communicates to the other person what you want them to do. So you can use your voice calmly. So, for example, Sam, I really appreciate that you're asking me if I, you know, can do some of the work with you, but I've got a whole lot of work myself. Maybe good luck with asking somebody else, maybe next time, instead of saying, yes, sure, and then you regret it two minutes later. Mm. So you can respond calmly or you can respond really loudly in the way where somebody is approaching you, they are a threat, you don't know who, who they are, and you can respond, I don't know who you are, step back. And by hearing yourself say that, that's very empowering. And you're also communicating to the other person what you want them to do. The third principle is run. Run as in if you are finding yourself in a very dangerous situation, you might need to run. It may be awkward because in our society we are used to being polite and and making the other person feel comfortable. Forget about your feelings. It's all about the other person. So we want to change that. We want to make sure, what is it that you want? So if you feel that you need to actually get away and run from the situation, do so. Change your route if you need to. Or it could also be, hey, Sam, I can't give you an answer straight away. Let me just walk away, give me five minutes, and I'll come back to you and I'll think about it. Mm -hmm. Because I already know that I tend to say yes in the moment and that when I walk away, I ground myself, I take a deep breath, I ask myself, what do I want to do? What do I want to say? And then by getting that courage within me, I come back and say, thank you, Sam, but no. The fourth principle is fight. And that is not because you can, but because you know you can if you have to. Mm -hmm. And fight is understanding the hard parts of your body and using your hard parts against the soft parts of the perpetrator. 
So Hollywood has taught us that men are invincible. You think about your favorite movie, action movie, the guy gets shot, he gets up. He gets punched, he gets up. He gets thrown through a window, he gets up. So women unconsciously take in this information thinking that men are indestructible. The same thing with women. Women, Wonder Woman, Katniss from The Hunger Games, great role models, but they still have superhuman strengths. It doesn't work. Mm. So we have to debunk how women can use their bodies against someone else because it's not fair just because I've been doing Kung Fu for 20 years. What about everyone else that hasn't? That doesn't mean that they shouldn't be able to physically defend themselves. The last principle is tell, and that is where we are sharing. We are normalizing that bad things do happen to us. We are normalizing the expression of pain and being vulnerable. In Pakistan, they are doing online healing circles, which is really exciting because over 70% of women over there experience some form of domestic abuse. We are also teaching kids the difference between good secrets and bad secrets. And also communication. We as parents, we need to communicate to our children and start saying and calling things for what they are. Otherwise, if you don't have that form of communication with your kids, you're allowing the internet to parent them. So in a nutshell, those are the five principles and they are taught based on who you are teaching. If they are children, teenagers or adults and different contexts, they can be violence prevention and all the participants can already have experienced some form of abuse in their life. Obviously, it sounds in, in crisis mode that obviously some of that, all of that makes really good sense. How do you apply that to someone that's in a relationship with someone who maybe over time, whether it's coercive control, other domestic violence sort of abuse, how does this empower them? Yeah, this is not the perfect solution and we really need to approach it as with other organisations mm-hmm. and it's a 360-degree touchpoint. So what we would do is we would train the experts that work with DV victims and survivors because they are the experts. They know the issues that their clients are dealing with. So it's all about the empowerment for the woman to make a choice without victim blaming, shaming or attacking. So the individual, she can still learn these principles and even even if it means that she can say no one time in the day in whatever context it may be, that's empowering for her. So we it's not a, a blanket cookie cutter approach because it's about having the, the courage and the belief that you are worth defending, whatever it is, whether it's from you know, a stranger, a partner, your children, your neighbour, your colleagues. So for somebody that is in a, an abusive situation, it is about giving her the tools, making her start thinking about her strategies and making a plan that is empowering and then having other service providers through her having a dialogue with them saying hey this is what I'm doing and then the support workers in the DV organization support her through those five principles of ESD. Yeah it's really interesting. Tell us about the de-escalation is that the strategies with that is that in there or is that separate? Yeah de-escalation so with ESD we take control of the situation by acknowledging that there's something there and then we use our verbal skills to acknowledge what's going on. So, for example, let's just say, you know, at the moment, if you're going to the shops, Saturday morning, it's really, really, really busy and 
everyone's looking for a car park and you're waiting for a car park, you've got your indicators on and you go in. You get out of the car and there's some mad person just screaming at you, making an assumption or, or, or I guess saying, saying, you took my car spot. They start swearing, they start throwing their fists in the ground, you're like, their fists up in the air and you're like, whoa, maybe I did, maybe I didn't. But we have a situation now. How do I want to de-escalate the situation? So I don't know if this person is going to hurt me. I mean, we're in public. There might be people around. So you can start thinking about strategies. You can say, listen, I, I, I probably did take your car park. I really, really apologise. I can reverse and give that car back to you. It's about trusting your instinct. Decide what fight you're going to fight. Because in this situation, he knows your car. He knows your number plate. He can follow you home if he wants more trouble. Or you can use de-escalation skills and say, you know, that really would annoy me too if I was waiting for a car park. How about I reverse, you can take my car park. Or if you want to take it another way, by de-escalation, you can say, look, I was here, I think there's a misunderstanding that I'm going to go in because I've got to grab a few things in, in the shops and then you can find another car park. So, again, it depends on the context and every individual chooses how they want to deal with that. So de-escalation to try and avoid a situation, but if it escalates, well, then you're just dealing with someone that wants trouble. Mm. And how important is it to listen to that intuition? Oh, my goodness. It's, we talk about it like, you know, it's, it's thrown around. Like the word even empowerment is just thrown around like it's just a, a buzzword. Intuition and empowerment, they go in together. We need to start really trusting that part in us that warns us. We have an internal warning signal. It always tells us when something is going on, we need to listen to it. And that is why, you know, by being present and being calm and learning these strategies when you are, I guess, in a relaxed state. You're tuning into your body. You start understanding when you're having physiological reactions. You start understanding when, you know, when you're in fight-flight mode because when you are in fight-flight mode, all you think about is safety. Mm. But not every situation is a threatening situation. It could just be an uncomfortable situ situation. So, yeah, trusting your gut instinct is so important. When's it most common for people to use this based on your training so far? Well, it's funny, Sam, because I've been teaching primary school students, I'm in year three and four, and when I talk to them about what does that dangerous person look like, and they all say to me, he's tall, he's ugly, he's hairy, he's smelly, he's strong, he's lurking in the bush. So already at that age, they already have this imagination of what a bad person looks like. So it's really interesting how much they've been indoctrinated by, you know, movies and so forth. So we want to start having these conversations at a really early age to start questioning, well, abuse may not look physical. It may not look like a punch, a kick, a bruise. Abuse is all types. And we start looking at what happens in the playground. There's bullying there's, you know, kids who leave other kids out of conversations. It's online bullying, you know, now with the internet and nearly every child having a phone in their hand. 
So it's really early intervention to teach individuals and students age-appropriate lessons. So, for example, what I teach um, children in year three and four is completely different from what I teach somebody in year 12. Year 12, they're dealing with, you know, peas and driving with their friends and drugs and parties and schoolies mm-hmm. and you know, kids in, in primary school, they could be dealing with birthday parties and, and sports and in, in the school playground kind of issues. So we need to have, be very age appropriate and mindful that we need to have these conversations, open and frank conversations and stop protecting kids. They need to learn how to navigate because the world is not getting safer. It's getting more complex, more difficult. And we don't want to turn gentle, loving, caring children into, let's say, you know, into aggressive, bitchy kind of people. We still want people to be caring and loving and nice, but still be able to defend themselves. And you mentioned survivors who have been previously trained in ESD recover faster. Yes. More likely to report perpetrators and reach out for support. What about the program gives them those that sort of, that sort of results or confidence to... Well, they realise and they accept that it wasn't them. A woman cannot cause her own rape and abuse. So they learn to take their power back, to take control of their situation, and then they can rewrite their story. And they are a part of a supportive environment where we continue supportive meetings, whether they are online because of COVID, whether you know, people message each other. So the healing process is taking their power back because in that moment, if they have been abused, they may not have, they didn't feel that they were in control of the situation. So we put them in a situation where we do role plays and, and, and play out scenarios and they take charge. They get to rewrite the dialogue. And it is scary. You know, I've been through it myself even after 20 years of Kung Fu training, when I'm faced with an aggressor on the mat, my heart still just mm. goes so fast. It's just part of, of nature, I believe. But the women that have been abused and are victims, were victims, they actually have an opportunity to rewrite their ending, which is really exciting. And I've seen transformations happen that I have not seen when I've been doing Kung Fu. Wow. Mm. Must be really rewarding to see that that. that transformation take place you, you just see the power of the human how it really it's not about size it's not about what defines you but it's about finding that courage and that belief that you are worth defending and that no one has the right to make you feel uncomfortable or take your power away and with esd and the approach that you're taking by no way are we insinuating that perpetrator has no accountability or anything like that, right? Because there are situations where, you know, a lot of situations where that is the case, but you're really trying to place the emphasis on empowering the victim, the survivor. Yes, and that's 100%. We recognise that it's never our fault. It's never the victim's fault. The perpetrator has full responsibility and they need to take accountability for their actions. So it's... But the thing is... Laws and the justice system is very, very slow. And until you can guarantee me that no matter where I go, when I go, or who I go with and what I do, that I may not be 
abused, assaulted, or made feel uncomfortable, I need to take control over my own safety. Mm. That's a good distinction. Tell us about uh, ESD Global is a not-for-profit, but the mission is to make ESD accessible around the whole world. Has the delivery of this changed during COVID? Are you doing a lot online? Uh, tell us a little bit about that yeah, and how my that's goodness. impacted you. Yeah, well, I was travelling all around the world teaching the ESD and it was a fantastic time. And then, yeah, all of a sudden... I was actually in Israel like in last year in February, so I made it back just in time. And we had to change. We had to change the way we approached training. We had to just make things up on the spot. So a lot of so how do you teach these skills online? I mean, it's not ideal, but it's better than nothing. And you know, I think as a global organization, we are learning about how others are doing it with technology. We are starting an app which is really exciting as well. That's coming out soon. And we had to just listen to what the public needed. And we understand that in lockdown, the rate of abuse escalated to 500%. And if they were locked in and, you know, how do they access these types of trainings when they are living with the abuser? So, yeah, we recognise those challenges. But again, it's about having it accessible to as many as possible. So if they had a few hours by themselves, that they were able to get online and connect and, and feel empowered and, and take some control back over what they were learning. So, yeah, we definitely had to look at the way we approached online training, but it's going to stay forever. So it's only going to get better and we're going to learn more and more to make it more accessible to individuals that can't access face-to-face training. Mm-hmm. And how often does the program, do you, is, does it continually evolve and update and iterate? Yeah, I mean, the programs, so depending on what's going on. So we have a, what we call a people on the move program, which is displaced populations, refugees in Jakarta. So we, are, we listen and we work very closely to the organisers and we find out, well, what are the issues that you are dealing with at the moment? In the LGBTIQ plus community, we listen to what issues they are experiencing. If there's, you know, a new phenomena happening within the um, gen- younger generation. So we are not the experts in what's going on. We work very closely with the experts and then we teach the experts this methodology for them to go and write these programs to implement in their services. Mm-hmm. When the trainer gets trained... Is there a follow-up? Is there opportunity for further development beyond the initial training? Yeah, ESD Global, we have a unique program set up and that's where once a graduate does the first level one training, which is seven-day face-to-face, they're then part of a two-year training program because we all know then when we all come in, into a conference or a workshop, we get all really excited and motivated. We want to change the world And then we go back to our normal lives and it's like, oh, okay, I'm all by myself. So we recognise that challenge. So by supporting the graduates to continue with a two-year mentorship with ESD Global, that means they are part of a global network. We listen to their challenges that they experience because they might go back and say, hey, I taught this class and it went really well or hey Antonella it didn't go well what can I do next time so we are having these very frank and open authentic conversations because yeah things change and you know we need to continue adapting because humans are not predictable 
That makes sense. And it sounds it sounds like the fact that they get good support after they get trained up and there's a network there for them to continue and raise challenges. What has been some of the key challenges that people have had in rolling out the program or training people up in this? Funding. Funding and I think also the, how do you say it? I'm not sure what the word in English is. The stereotype or the... The okay. stigma, maybe, the stigma around violence prevention education. There's a lot of criticism, again, saying that why sh- should it be the female that always has to change and learn and come to these programs and expose themselves to these types of trainings? Why can't we change boys and men? And we 100% agree. We totally agree that's the case. That's why we need to all work together. Men and women should have this conversation together and it's everybody working. So we are violence prevention education. So highlighting the fact that we actually want to avoid and, and be able to recognise when these things are coming up. And is it is the key violence prevention strategy, is it just for women and vulnerable groups or you mentioned also kids as well? Yeah, yeah. So, of course, mostly it's women, but we also have programmes where we have boys in the class because boys, depending, you know, they're vulnerable too. And they also learn about healthy relationships and, you know, that that helps them as they grow up and navigate adulthood, what it means to be a healthy, functional, resilient, emotionally intelligent male. So we need more of that. We also have co-ed classes where we have male and female instructors together teaching a co-ed class. Mostly, generally in classes, we have, if it's a co-ed class, we actually have more females in that. It's it's about 75% more females. Why? Because if you have uh, boys that that take up, you know, boys take up space. They're confident already. They they know how to, you know, be boisterous and and play around. And that, that makes a lot of girls embarrassed and shy and it takes away their, their learning process. So we always make sure that we have more girls in the class so they are free and more comfortable to express. It sounds sensible and like it's, um, it's logical with the way you're doing that. Tell me about the future. What, holds the, what does the future hold for ESD? Where's, where's the future opportunities? We are on a mission to collaborate with different organisations all around the world. Like I said, you and women are endorsing our programs. We are looking in the Asia-Pacific region for UN Women in Australia, UN Women Asia-Pacific to take this program and roll it out in different organisations. I know that in the Asia-Pacific region there is a lot of interest. In the last couple of weeks I've been talking to the government officials on the federal level. They want to know what ESD is. They are looking at rolling out these programs to their teachers, the social workers, the social departments around the country because they can see that violence prevention is so integral but so undervalued and so underfunded. So we are having really exciting conversations with the Philippines. We're looking at Thailand as well, looking at child abuse. They are very interested in our programs. We have 14 women from around Asia Pacific coming to Australia next year where I'll be facilitating this training. Unfortunately, I hear crickets from Australia and... It's, it's sad that I'm working so hard to try and, and, and I guess that's what I'm here for, to mm. show people what we are all about and to work together. So we are seeing ESD Global being rolled out in schools, the education department, in the healthcare system, you name it. Is there also opportunity to do, I mean, we spoke about government opportunities, but also 
and government run and led industries as well but what about corporates and other organizations yeah good question so we actually have a sister organization called pave and they specifically look at violence at the workplace because we know that the respect at work is a very hot topic and you know it's employees have a responsibility to their employees and we also advocate for every sovereign individual to take accountability and responsibility for themselves so like I said what may offend me may not offend somebody else and that's okay it's understanding you know the differences and that um, and and to communicate that because we all I guess interpret human behavior differently so at the workplace a huge um, amount of work has been done for corporates and organizations and even apprenticeships to learn because we want more females to go into trades, right? So we want to empower the female population to have the confidence to go in when they're in a male-dominated environment to recognise if there's any abuse happening. Well, I mean, it sounds like some amazing work you're doing and and obviously it would be highly satisfying to be able to go out there and, and empower people to take some control and give them more confidence in any situation that they're in and be able to recognise some of the signals a bit earlier. Tell us, what does the future hold for you? Wow, for me? Well, definitely going to be busy with ESD Global, managing and capacity building with other organisations. I also have my own business, ESD Australia, Wisdom for Women, um, where I'll be teaching groups. Funnily enough, I've been asked to teach birthday parties. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so last weekend I was teaching a 16-year-old and eight of her friends and her father was a martial artist himself and he recognises that ESD is completely different from martial arts. By the end of the training, the girls were so pumped and like I'm talking about 16-year-olds that it's really hard to get them motivated but by the end of it, even the dad was like, how in the world did you end up getting all these girls like literally kicking butt, yeah. raising their voice? So, yeah, very, very busy. I do not see things slowing down. In fact, I think there's a whole movement. I, my psych background and my coaching and mentoring with, you know, human development and, and personal development, it's really about empowering the individual to just to be proud and stand, you know, firmly in their truth. And I'm an introvert. So, you know, people take that misunderstand that as being reserved and not confident and I'm like talking on behalf of all the introverts saying no you can still be quiet reserved and keep to yourself but you know as soon as you recognize someone's trying to take advantage of you yeah you can speak up. And so I mean it's been really fascinating listening to your story and the great work you're doing with ESD and and all the the training and the programs that you're implementing. How can people get in touch with you or know more about it? Sure so my name, gosh, that this is my name is Antonella Spartola. So I'm sure you can, um, if you go to ESD Global, you can find us there on yep. social media, Facebook, Instagram. Now, when you put in self-defense, just here's a side note because it's a US-based organisation. They use the S in defense instead of C. So ESD Global self-defense with an S rather. So that's that's one way. Or you can contact me directly at antonella.spartola at ESD Global Self-Defense. Well, we appreciate the time and thanks very much for sitting and having a chat with us and sharing your story with our our listeners and um, good luck in the future and thanks very much. Thank you, Sam.
Is there someone working in mental health who you'd like to be featured on the podcast? Are there more questions you want the answers to? Let us know what you want to hear. Get in touch with us by emailing any podcast suggestions to membership at anzmh.asn.au and be sure to stay up to date on our socials at ANZMHA on Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn. Thank you very much for listening and we look forward to sharing our next conversation.